0: Hey, welcome to Smoker Broker. I'm Robert Menzies, and I'm the guy they call Smoker Broker. Hope everything's going well. Hope you're doing good. Um, if you're coming on after watching our uh, last episode, you know we had a long conversation about the state of the market and where things are, and that was probably one of our most informational uh, podcasts that we've done in quite some time. So if you didn't catch up with that, you really should catch episode uh, 163. It might have been labeled "Working with." Uh, a seller, uh, that it really became uh, uh, the state of the market itself. And that's fine. Uh, I don't think anybody ever watches our thing just for one specific thing. I think they want to know that, uh, you know, whatever we're talking about, it it should be something that's important to them. So uh, all good there. We are going to talk about the topic this time, though, uh, because there's no reason to go back through a, I love that server five years got to tell us tell the guys is shocked by the fact that we are literally on year five of uh, of uh, the podcast, which is awesome too, Because that means I've known my buddy there, Mark for that amount of time, which that's been a great uh, uh, entrance into my life over the last five years with a lot of uh, influence on how we do our marketing, uh, especially with this particular podcast, I really did not realize it had been almost five years. So that's just uh, even better. But we did do the state of markets, so there's really no reason to go through a whole nother intro of that again. And because of that, I really do want to just get into uh, the topic today about working with um, a, um, a buyer, because I think that's one of the first things that a lot of you guys see. We have a lot of new agents that watch the podcast. And because of that, we always try to make sure that we have information that is uh, pertinent to them. And today, I think you're going to enjoy that because one of the most difficult things about being new is you've been trained, you you have these steps that you're supposed to do, but you, you really, unless you see it from an overall view, it, it gets kind of difficult. And I think the hardest thing about training and learning is that you do step by step, but you never can put the whole big picture together. And that's what we try to do on this particular podcast. We try to show you how all of this stuff uh, works as usual I got my two buddies over here on the side they are uh, probably the most uh, recurrent uh, host that we have on the show for the last five years got my buddy Mike Dallasis right next to me and then I got my other buddy over there Jim McCauley and I love being able to say that because it's an absolute uh, true statement I think we're all more friends than we've ever been work uh, partners uh, for all the years and you're talking about probably, Uh, 40 or 50 years of friendship added up in this uh, just these three right here so I love that always great to work with people that uh, you're super friends with plus they are uh, super when it comes to adding the uh, value to the podcast because I a lot of times I just forget pieces of it um, and they remind me or they correct me on it so honestly yeah we can't do the podcast without them okay so let's Let's talk about working with the buyer, and let's let's kind of merge it into our last episode where uh, we were discussing things like um, the market and where it's at. Without having to go back through that whole conversation, clearly the market's a little bit more of a challenge. Uh, We're still waiting for a lot of buyers out there to accept the fact that the rate's not going to go down, and it's our job right now to give them the education as to why they should get back out there right now so a lot of the show talked about where we're at but now we're going to talk about getting that buyer back into the field and when they get back in what are the things that we do with them so mike let's start off when let's do it as basic as it comes when we get the first call from somebody that they're looking for a house or maybe somebody referred them to us that's the greatest thing when we have you know uh Friends or uh, 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 acquaintances send us people. That's the best thing we ever get. What What's some of the first things that we ask that person? Whether we're talking to them on the phone, uh, whether we're emailing or texting them, what What are the first things we're going to ask them in general uh, to start this process off?
1: Time frame. Yep. Um. Um. You know, price point, area. You know, uh, the first things that I usually hit on. Yep. Uh you know, I, I I ask them, you know, if, if you know, if they want, um, if they want to meet, if they want to uh, just have me send them some preliminary homes, if they, I need, you know, I got to have criteria. Uh, what am I actually searching for? Uh, what do they want?
0: Yep. Um, I love it. And Mike's at Mike's Pro. I he, mean, he pretty much did the, uh, uh, the top five of what we specifically tell somebody. We tell them we want to know their price range we want to know the area Uh, we want to know any special needs that they have Um, an area
1: doesn't mean dfw
0: that's right it doesn't Uh, we that's right so what mike's telling you there that he's not referring to because he's in dfw jim's in austin iman's in atlanta bo and stephanie are in destiny he's not talking about the Michaela in baltimore dc what he's talking about is in any of those areas we're not looking for somebody to say Well, I want a house in Atlanta or I want a house in Baltimore. Those are huge towns. That is not someone who's serious about buying a house when they say, I want to buy a house here. What Mike's making the point on is that we need to know when we say area, we're talking about a very defined place that they're thinking about purchasing a home. There is no one who's serious about buying a home that says, I want to live within this 80 miles. That is not someone who's really put thought into uh are they going to be purchasing? well if they're if
1: they're looking for you know if they say i want to i want to move i want to move to dallas or dfw and i want 40 acres and my budget is you know five sure. mil plus well sure. then now you've, you you've cut everything down to yeah. you know 12 how 12 places well you we know, probably that's can't. different So a 300k house that isn't going to work
0: yeah we can search that way if someone says well i want 40 acres and 5 million i'm like well <laughs> there's only going to be so many of them so i can pull right. that up for you mm-hmm. um so you're right that that can be a different search in itself. So and there he is. There's my buddy. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's like that. But the questions are always the same. Um, you know, a lot of you know, I'm, I'm a, uh, a longtime instructor and uh, I was teaching this past week. And the conversation, even on the fair housing, even though this isn't so much working with a buyer, I think it's relevant because it's a part of working with the buyer that we should. But it came up this past week where. Um, when you get caught to where you're possibly steering, where you're caught with uh, pushing somebody into a neighborhood because of a specific race or a national origin, uh, a lot of times that happens in this process with the qualifications that you're talking about when we're asking what they need. So sometimes if we have some that ask us that they go to us and they say, "Hey, look, um, I need to live in a Hispanic neighborhood. I need to live uh, in this." area we're not allowed to do it like that but what mike just said and we always try to remind people i don't need to know that all i need to know is what's your price range what what uh, your square footage is how old do you want the house i can't actually say what area but i don't specify it because of a race so you know it's funny that wasn't exactly the route I wanted to take today. But while we were talking about it, I remember it came up this week and it is in those criteria when we start this process. What is it that I'm, you know, how do I start it? And it is trying to find out what they need. So I thought that was a good side conversation that we still should be. You're going to see that sometimes when you do see it, you need to know how to correct it. We can never cater to somebody that tells us that they want to live in a particular area because of a race or a national origin or religion itself. We can't do that. It's a free country and they're free to live wherever they want, but they cannot word it like that. They have to word it just like the general information because we don't need to know that information to put them in a house. So Mike's right. That's the start of the process. Jim, once we get that information, what do we normally do? What are some of the next things we're going to do once they've told us where they want, um, where they want to be. Mike said it was great on the time frame because that matters. Uh, in fact, talk a little bit about that. If their time frame is now versus three or four months ago, how do we go to those arenas right now? What's the next step with them?
2: Of course, you know lot, lot, most of my expertise is you know build on your lot, you know new yep. custom construction. So, right. so from that standpoint, you know time frame, you yeah, know that's important. You know, uh, you know you know, do they have a lot in, in, in my situation? I'm going to ask them. The next thing I want to, want to know in particular is have they worked with a lender yet? Because you right. know, they need to know, you know, what, what, what is their price range? What can they, what is their actual price range so that you can sit down and be really realistic with them, what they're looking for. You know, you know, I, I get a lot of instances where people spend a half million dollars on a on a a lot and think they can spend uh, half a million to build a house, you know, and that'd be a awful small house if that's possible, you know, Well, I like uh,
0: like the rag you're taking with that because, you know, Mike was doing the, the more general, but we clearly have a different buyer sometimes that has a different entrance into the market where we talk about new construction, especially when we're talking about building from the ground up, especially if it's a luxury house at that, because, you are talking about a complete You know, we've gone to where those timeframes are maybe like, uh, you know, just a few months on a regular, you know, builder. But if you're talking about a custom build, you're talking about maybe a year and a year and a half out before we're looking at a completion uh, and maybe even four or five months before we're even, you know, breaking ground on there. So I love that take on it. Sometimes I always forget that there really is two avenues to start somebody off. Uh, in the process. Uh, Jared, when we get the, we get all that data in and we decide whether they're going new construction or they're going pre-existing, let's do pre-existing first and then we'll go back to Jim and talk about new construction uh, a little bit more with them. Once we've got them, their data, what is it that we're going to do with them to see what they want, where they want, and what are we going to do once we figure out what it is that they want?
3: I mean, I think the big thing, uh, I mean, the big thing in my area are schools. And that's where a lot of people ask. Yeah. Um, I mean, so I weed out a lot of people by saying, hey, what school district are you in? Because most of the people that move from out of state always reference Prosper or Fris- Frisco. Um, Those are two uh,
0: large school districts, right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So,
3: I mean, it just, you know, you'd be surprised how many people from out of state know, what prosper texas is you, you know, know.
0: jerry i want to talk about that because that's a good comment and, and 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 that's why i love doing this podcast unscripted because you guys take it a route sometimes that i don't so i i, I am i gotta tell you i'm i'm personally proud of the fact because yeah, i'm i'm just thinking about it right now but I, I actually do now for the first time in my career i have to cater my conversation to not only the guys in texas but i have to think about florida georgia you know baltimore dc and that kind of makes me uh that makes me feel kind of happy because it's 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 uh that that's good for us and i have to pause when i think about what the conversation is going to be but you bring up something that was interesting when you talk about those areas specifically mm-hmm. texas is very fortunate about the school districts and, and that's not a shot towards destin um you know everybody knows i, I spent a lot of time in atlanta and 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 Atlanta and Dallas are very similar. In fact, I, I always joke about, uh, well, actually, Jared, I forgot you. Jared's from there, too. I forget. Jared's Jared's uh, the Falcons out there. Um, so a lot of people don't realize Atlanta and Dallas are actually the same thing minus the hills and the trees. It's the same type of suburb. And the heat. Industry, isn't it? Isn't that <laughs> no. very accurate statement <laughs> of Atlanta? Um, but here's the thing. Baltimore and D.C., definitely a lot different you know, Michaela out there. And, and Destin's different because it's more of a tourist uh, destination. And, and and schools are always important, but even in Destin, you're like, well, is that really what they're looking for when they go to Destin? But in Texas, Texas literally does have some of the best schools in the country. And, you know, Jared, he just mouthed them off because they're areas that he uh, spe- uh, specializes in. But he literally is talking about two of the most sought after school districts in the entire country. Jim and Austin, he has a lot of those school districts as well. So, you know, he says it. Uh, both of them, especially Jared says it so freely, but I don't think you can actually understand the importance of the fact when he's asked that he ain't kidding. I mean, he literally is being told is it prosper is it South Lake? is it yeah. you know and and that's incredible all right go ahead with that jared I just thought was a great yeah idea. i mean
3: uh, my biggest components of people that ask me because a lot of these people moving from out of state you know and they're looking at a six to a million dollar house on average the majority of them are shipping their kids to a private school and that stuff is not cheap so when they realize that you know they don't have to do that here they could they don't have to but they're saving a crap ton of money a year, so they're putting more of that money on, you know, okay, if that's the case, let's up our budget even more, you know, because they're already accounting to ship their kid to a, a private school.
0: Mike, I just took my ADD med, and it dissolves. Talk about private. You know, um, what's the one just south of you over there, Liberty. Talk about how some people will put their kids in that versus a public school.
1: Well, no, I, mean, I mean, obviously, it's a choice. I mean, I mean, sometimes they make the choice. Sometimes there's perfectly good Prosper there, the Denton guy or a South Lake, wherever there's perfectly good schools. And they still choose to go the, the private route because that's just the route they're going to go.
3: So I personally don't like pro- pro- Prosper schools.
1: I think it's oversized. It's
3: over big. It's a one, a one sport system. There's a lot of big stuff in there that I don't find value. That's why I don't live there anymore. I just don't There's find about that prosper in general, right? And in period. It just like it's it's just it grew way too big, way too fast. but the, there you have 30 to 40 kids per class. It's a very big school. And you know, a lot of that stuff is when you're dealing with especially with my kids, um, you know, they're gonna get scholarships. I don't know what it is, but I want them to have multiple sports something to be able to, to attain that. And so prosper is a very hard sport to do that. because you have to be the elite of the elite, and people don't realize that until they move into that school district. So So, I don't tell them that, but, you know.
0: I want to have that conversation, because that's personal and at heart to me. So my brother, he's in Prosper, and he has his kids, and and everybody knows me. I I have a very interesting place where I live, because I live um, uh, off of Lake Louisville, but I do live. You have to go through some very ghetto, some very humble parts to get to my place. I, I, old country is more of the key. And, very hazardous.
2: It's a hazardous and, drive,
0: and, yeah. and because of that, the school system is literally fifty percent of the kids that go to that particular school district. They live under the poverty line, and that's a little bit of an interesting mix for, you know, with our kids and stuff. And this was a terrible conversation uh, that we had when we first bought this land in this house, because we were, you know, I okay, look that school district is not as good as the one across the lake. And the point I'm making is what Jared talked about, where I've got friends and family that are maybe in something like Prosper or Hell or South Lake, where the, the, the schools are packed and they're great schools. They're not there they're people going there because they're great. They have the highest paid teachers, the highest they have the best quality in there that they can get, but there is another side to that. And the other side to that becomes are 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 your kids better off there or are they better off in a more rural setting? Now this is an opinion. This doesn't mean I'm right. It doesn't mean Jared's right. Jared actually lived in that area. I've lived in areas like that. I come from Southern Louisiana. I live more like I'm in Southern Louisiana today, which is why I purchased where I did, because it reminds me of that. And and I've said this on many podcasts before. I don't care where my kids go to school. My kids are always going to, I'm going to be involved enough with them that I don't care if they go to the worst school. They're still going to get, the education they need because I'm going to make them do the things that they need to do. Now, with that Mm -hmm. said, we do have vast populations of people packing these areas in and what has become good has become concerning. Jim sees this in Austin as well, especially inside of each of the loops. And now we're looking at Austin having a population where Georgetown's a suburb now, and we're looking at Lockhart being suburbs. Well, these places, this this Frisco, Prosper, they grew so fast that there's now they're 10 to 15 years behind being able to catch up on the infrastructure, and and that's the somebody should be accountable at some point for how those towns grow without factoring in can it make it because then you and so Jerry can um, and and Mike could continue. Actually, Mike can really relate to this as well, because he knows it. The Allen School District. Everybody complains from the sports level that Allen has intentionally pushed all they've made the high school have way too many kids in it because it, it, it has won literally every state championship in almost every category for the last 10 years because it has way more students than some of those other Schools have my god, the, the stadium is. It, I think it costs more than the star out in Frisco, you know. So, y- you do get to the, mm-hmm. the point like, is that how that was supposed to be? Is that how that was built? I mean, is that what we want to where it's so hard to get in and out of there? Um, you know, yeah, the, that
1: was Alan's plan to begin with. Well, yeah. that's
0: my point. That's I mean, they were,
1: point. they were landlocked anyway, so they couldn't have another school and they wanted they didn't want another one.
0: That, that's right, they did not want it. They didn't want it. They, they were like, that's great. That'll work out great for us. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of get to where like, is that the right? Because you know, you know what I'm afraid of? I, I, I mean, I they had, still had
1: problems with Denton Geyer, but that's, you know, that's whatever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know That doesn't affect you, right? Uh, yeah, Mike and I are proud of the fact that we do reside by, uh, uh, so my kids go to the, uh, the, the smaller school in Lake Dallas. And uh, Mike's kids, uh, had uh, well, actually still are going uh, through Geyer, but Geyer's done very well. Out there, but you know, you bring up another point to me. That what we're also seeing, and and I think it's coming, is those schools start becoming business oriented, and I think what you're going to start seeing is each of them talking to each other to try to outplay the other one. Meaning someone like like where we're talking about, it's a great example: Geyer, Lake Dallas, and Denton. What if all of them or Louisville? What if all of them become one? what if they become one I, I think that we're not that far away from that i i think especially well this this is a good example like lake dallas is a less financially a school but if you go across the lake with, with Louisville, you have a very financially prominent one guyer as well you know you combine those that's a pretty big pool can you imagine The like Dallas kids, the Louisville kids, and the Geyer kids becoming one. Now, what sucks about that, and this is the other point I was trying to make, is that it's very hard on the kids. Like I got a lot of friends that their kids are in those areas, and very competitive, hard. I mean, like it's it's stressful that these are kids that want to be. These are uh, Jared, like these are the select kids. These, well, Mike too, your child. These are the select kids. They want to be in the highest sports but they are competing with other people that are just as good if not better and for someone who's dedicated their entire life and now they're like oh, i'm not even first string here because this guy is going to be probably a professional that can become very difficult we see this in south like all the time uh, you know what's south weird
1: Tech. is what's weird is i mean not to not to get us back on topic or anything but uh we working with the buyer 70 of what we just said we shouldn't say to a buyer. No no, right.
0: no. no, no, this working with the buyer has nothing to do with the general public as much as yeah. it does what the agent's perception is when we go well,
3: into it. Well, to, to a certain extent, because I do agree with you, Mike, that, yeah, you should never mention that. Like, if someone wants to move to a school school district, you top up the schools. Now, the people that are in the school districts, you know, like the prosperous and stuff, they know that it, it has gone to shit. I mean, they just know They, do. they don't they want do. that for the kids. So it's basically having that knowledge and other knowledge of schools, for example, of like, hey, do you want to go to a smaller school? Do you want your kid to play more than one sport instead of doing clubs? You said
0: the right thing. It's not so much that it's gone to shit as much as it is. It's so crowded. Yeah, that was It's so crowded.
3: People's people's perception on it has completely changed because it was a big school and – during the, a lot of people who moved to the school district, they've changed so much stuff because of how many kids are there. That's why they only made it on one sport thing. But in order to to be a participant in that one sport, you have to be the elite of the elite. If you don't, then you're
0: playing, you're just playing you club. Do. You do have yeah. to be the elite of the elite. And, you know, Jared, you're one of the few. I mean, and you know this. I mean, anybody who's at, that's at a, ever at a professional level it's it's a God gift to be there because you're talking about less than one percent of the general public that ever can come close to that. It's easier for you because you know what it took to be there. But for those other people, no dreams, uh, it's tough for them. I mean, because they want it, and and God bless them. Some of them get there, but it ain't easy. I mean, when you're no. and, and Mike does this because his kids have gone through it. I mean, his daughter's very competitive at the highest level of cheerleading. His is Younger daughter is an outstanding soccer player, and she's actually a great example too, because she is one that's in that she is about to make that next step mm-hmm. into collegiate, and she has to in herself say, she and and, and Mike's younger daughter is Allie is going to play soccer collegiately, and I, I mean we're, I'm right on that, Mike. She is right. Yeah, right? yeah, she is. Right. So she's a great example, but and, and I'm not speaking for Allie in any in any means, but. In her mind, I, I'm sure she has a dream that hey, maybe I can become professional. I mean, maybe I am good enough. And I've seen Allie, and I and I do think she has the skill. But even then, she's in with thousands of others that are at that level, and it becomes very tough.
1: Yeah,
0: that piece of it. And I I think that that's it's good and bad. I think if the parents are good. They they coach them through and say, hey, look. Let's have some level of expectations here, but then I think there's others that are bad that are like, oh no, that's what they're gonna be. I'm like, try not to try not to hit them too high on that because that might not necessarily be the case. You know, we see this a lot from someone who reloads, and their kid was a a starter in somewhere like Montgomery, Alabama, but then they come into Dallas and they're like third string, and they're like shocked by it. I'm like, Whoa. I go, there's there's 10,000 kids at that school. It's only a matter of, you know, there's got to be somebody in there that's just as good. So, you know, I, I like this part. You know, Mike is joking. We wasn't joking, but it's funny. We're talking about working with the buyer. Working with the buyer can be 50 episodes. And when we go into it, I don't have a set script because I don't care which way it goes. I just want to talk about, what they deal with. So I love the school conversation. And to be fair, schools are the number one. There's not even a close second. Schools are the number one thing a relocation person asks for. There is not even a close second. So I love that conversation. All right. So we got the schools. uh, uh, We've got the information they need. For those of you who are newer, we'll get a little bit more guideline for you. We'll get more basic. We just gave you a little bit of an advanced view, but now we'll give you a little more basic in there. Uh, We're going to usually take the information that you gave us. We're going to put it into a search for you. Most of the time we'll do that in automatic search because we want to show you all the houses that are available to you. Now, this is an important step because some of you go to the the aggregate sites where you look at something like a Zillow or a realtor.com and you're like, oh, these houses are available. A lot of times those sites are not up to date. They actually have houses that are under contract. Um, there's been a mistake on there's a glitch while they're there. The only true vision you're ever gonna get of the houses that are available are what we send you in the actual local MLS. Cause we know for a fact that at that point that house is available. So we're always gonna put you on those searches first. The hope is that there's at least 10 to 15 houses in the area that you're looking at that you're interested in. Now, this is something I'm super happy about right now. You know, we're kind of numbers
1: decreased over the years too. Oh
0: God. And, and, and Mike and, and, and Jared too. And Jim as well. Well, actually I'm trying to think if Jared has seen, yeah, he's been around long. He would have, I know Jim and I from way back when and Mike at some point too, we haven't seen it where there's that many in a long time, but we are getting back. I said it last year, and, I, and I've and i been right so far. Now there is 10 to 15 for them available, and I think that grows to probably 25 or 30 in the summer because we get back to the normal market. Most of our guys have not seen a normal market in a long time. Jared's been around long enough that he did see it before, but the ones that have just come in— They haven't seen it yet, you know, and that's what I love. It's funny. Some of our best agents, Jared came in when the market was low. I started when the market, me and Jim started market low. Mike came in on the second low. All the guys on here started in low markets, which I actually think is is an advantage because I think when you start on the high one, it's a little tougher for you to uh, um, set the expectations or believe the expectations. So we're going to see guys now that do get back to when They do a search. There's 10 or 15 homes. They have not seen that in the last four or five years, actually last six or seven years. They've only seen like three or four available, if any. Well, for you guys out there that are just coming on, this is much better for you than it's been for the guys the last few years, because you're coming on to where there actually will be homes for you to look at. You will get back to where you go out on a weekend, you show eight to 10 homes, by the end of the weekend, they'll select one. You'll actually be able to negotiate. You won't be you know, hamstrung to do it.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: you'll get under contract and probably be looking at a paycheck within 30 days. That is the first time we've seen that a long time, which is that's the way you want it to be. And the reason why this market's better is that sellers, even though now it takes them longer to sell their house, that's okay because it's always been expected. You don't want um, a seller having six or seven months before they sell because that's not good. But if it takes three months or so, that's actually, the seller still wins, the buyer still wins. That's the most equilibrium market we ever get to. And that's really what we're moving towards. And that's why even though there's a little bit of gloom with some of the conversation, I just don't see, I see a much more positive rendition of what happens in the summer because I do believe that even though the rates rise people become accepted because they figure out that it's not going to go back down and Mm -hmm. be happy that there are plenty of houses out there for them to get and they're going to make that move so I'm not concerned
3: yeah I think it's uh, I I would disagree with Gary just because I think it all depends on the area it really does I mean Mm -hmm. I know that Philly is taking a really big turn there you see multiple offers up there Minnesota you are too um, which like I, was point,
0: I read that too the other day I was interested yeah. about I get Philly I get any East Coast West Coast I mm-hmm. saw Minnesota on one of the journals the other day I'm like wow I go why <laughs> no offense to you Minnesotans but that is an awkward place to, yeah you know, where it's two, two degrees below perhaps I mean it's interesting yeah. that that area is growing I'm very I mean it's definitely it.
3: picking up with a lot of these areas so I think it's I think it's wrong to say that it's going to be gloom I think it just depends <laughs> on which market you're in because if you're over if you're in a overinflated market like California or New York you're it's going to hit hard no matter how you see it what it is it's going to hit hard because well and I
0: think I think that that's what Gary he speaks to the masses clearly, sure and I do believe he realizes that it is tougher on the east and the west because a lot of his volume comes from those areas and he's probably right there it's probably a little tougher well all of us and it's pretty fascinating. All of us have been reading about California. California really is having an exodus. I mean, yeah, they, they what? I think they said they lost 35% of the population in the last two or three years. That's, in, y'all, that's incredible. 10% would be shocking. 35 in the, and unfortunately, we think- Well, their population the tech- decreased. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, usually you lose 35 and they would gain 36. So,
0: uh, so the population great, would
1: increase, but their, their population's actually decreased yeah. now.
0: That is a great point. That is true. Uh, and
3: another thing is like what I'm dealing with is that the reason why I think the Dallas market is not going to like have this gloomy stage, majority of your companies that are were in California or other else, Frisco and Prosper, yeah, all these other companies are giving them tax breaks that are just... Make no sense of why you shouldn't move because they could make so you. much money. Well, yeah, just same, sold them all same here.
2: Yeah, Jeff, at, go ahead. I mean, same here. Look at the Giga factory that was just built here by Tesla. You know. Oh my I mean. god! I mean, and he, he's guys, bringing it.
0: Seen that? I yeah. mean, have you guys taken the one hundred and thirty? Yeah. And at the, that Tesla thing is on. Samsung I mean, too, right? It, it, it's yeah. It's I, I put it up there, and I'm not kidding. I actually put it up there. As an eighth wonder, um, how do they do eight wonders? Natural and eight—I uh, mean, literally, it is freaking huge. I mean, it well, takes yeah. five minutes to drive past it doing eighty-five. I mean, yeah, it's,
2: it's it's impressive.
0: You know, Jim. I, I, I again, that's why I love the podcast. We get in the conversations. The more I'm thinking about it, I, I, I've been saying that 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 East Side starts growing but now that i really start looking at tesla alone i'm curious and actually if you could look for me sometime this week i'd love to know like take a, a barrier where that tesla starts and go east where it's pretty rural i'm curious how much development's out that way how far it goes because oh you're seeing it
2: constantly pop up there. You know where they're forecasting, like you know, five thousand homes right, right around that area. Just so, the know, service.
0: What I want you and I to do, we can do this together. I want to see how far we think that goes. Like, so, so Jared's a great example. Well, I, Jared? You don't mind me talking about where you're, uh, where you're. Do you? Do you not want anybody to know? I'm not gonna say. Decadent. No, that's that's. Okay, right. I, yeah. I, I, I'm always careful with you on that. So, no. Jared's a great example. Of what I'm talking about. Jared looked at being in in, in the city. You know, he's got a lot of business in here. He he needs to work and stuff. But he also knew that he doesn't have to be right here to do it. So he took a little bit of a leap of faith and he moved a little bit further. And and he's actually, his distance is exactly what I'm talking about with Tesla. Because where he lives is the equivalent to the Tesla East, how far it goes. I'm curious. Because if you look, Jim, if you take... Austin eastward, you're going to be north of of Houston, but do you directly, when you go east from there, is is there anything before you get to the state line of Louisiana? I mean, do you get to, like, Lufkin in those areas or what? I can't remember. I'm trying to think. Well, I mean, it's just – better, better, I guess, to 45. I guess to 45,
2: right? Oh, it's just – you're asking there's something there. Yeah, it's all – it's built –
0: do you see right now the houses are already from Austin to forty five do you see oh, yeah that? Oh, it's it's there yeah, absolutely wow. wow that that's 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 incredible I mean my whole
3: thing of like convincing people'm not really convincing people I'm kind of opening up minds of even out here um you know because like when a lot of people say it's going up north and north and north and north, I'll tell you what. People are going to get real tired of that crap knowing how much traffic is from there to fly out of DFW. Yeah. It's a night a nightmare. So I've had a lot of people that don't want to move further, further north. They're looking for other places like Roy City or they want to be by right, jumping, got, which I'm like. A
0: great point. This came up last week. So for um, our southern markets and even um, um, our out-of-state markets, what Jared's talking about and it's no different than uh, um, Atlanta and Baltimore see the same thing. It's a little mm-hmm. bit further for them, but they're seeing the same thing. So this came up last week or last few months in Dallas. And it's exactly what Jared's talking about. So you get those guys. In fact, the, the last two clients I had in the last week, Royce City and uh, uh, Blue Ridge, uh, off of, those are a little further out, Greenville. Well, that is the one thing. They're like, well, I need to be close enough to the airport. I, it's okay if I have to sit in a little bit of traffic and drive longer. I just don't want to make a habit of it. Yeah. Well, in the news the last couple of months, there's a lot of serious conversation about putting an international airport in McKinney. And, and I'm going to tell you, I know where they're going with that. They're, are, they're they, already building it. They they are forecasting that they think yeah. that that corridor over there and north, that's going to be needed because there's just no way they're going to be able to come into DFW or love all the time like that. So I'm one sure of my, one, hasn't been to a, a more residential or a, a people. One of my like
3: clients that. is the main, is the main investor in that, in that McKinney thing. Um, wow. So um, <laughs> he said that it's not going to be this, it's not going to be like <laughs> Dallas love. It's not going to be, it'll have a lot of local or your Southern regions you're still gonna have to go to if you want to go anywhere else you're still gonna have to go to dallas i mean it's just there's no ends that for bucks about it because what spirit and like all these other major companies like delta and all these guys they pay leases for all that stuff and these leases yeah. they're stuck in these leases for so long yeah and so it just financially doesn't make sense for them to do that but you know people can take jumper planes from here to South Dallas or South or South Texas. I mean, you know, so like those areas. Yeah. The original, area. route.
0: the original Southwest, route, the, the quick routes, and yeah. they've become over. Well, you know, Southwest is a great example. Southwest was built on quick routes, but Southwest is no longer quick. Yeah. Routes. Southwest is, is a major airline. And maybe it is time that a new airline gets back in there and tries to replicate what they used to do. Like it, it is difficult to get to, um, uh, Shreveport, or to Lafayette, uh, or to Pensacola—it's not as easy. Yep. Uh, I saw the other day one of our friends is down there in um, uh, just south of Savannah, in the in the on uh, St. Simon. I-, I was looking to go see him. It ain't easy to get to St. Simon. I mean, you, it, Brunswick, which is what you're kind of talking about—it was like $1,500. I'm like, that sure is a lot of money to fly into there. So that's that's an interesting conversation too. So you get the areas where. We, we tell them where they want they, they, they want us to be or where they want to be. We get those searches in there. They go looking for them. Um, then we're going to get to where the next step is going to be. They want to put the offer in place. Now, the offer process is a completely different show. And we've done it many times where we do that separately. and we certainly do that today. But the point of today was to get through the overall what you're doing when you're working with a buyer. So here we're going to start expecting to go ahead and get the offer ready we're going to prep it Um, we're going to make the assumption that we've got the offer accepted because we're going through steps here not the actual pieces of it Um, once we get the offer accepted within those first couple of days we're going to get that buyer to schedule an inspection Uh, it needs to be quick because they only have so many days in an option and they don't want the inspection to be the last day of the option so we're going to get the inspection scheduled pretty quick for them. Well, we're not going to do they're going to do. That's important, too. You don't want to be the one that calls the inspector. They need to call them, and you need to give them at least three choices most of the time. I know we don't all do that, but we should. I'd be hypocritical if I said I didn't, um, but we're supposed to. And they'll get out there. They'll tell us what the problem They'll give us the report. We're going to negotiate if we think things need to be done. Once again, a whole other – actually, that's a whole other two or three shows. Um, so we get through that process. If we make it through inspection and we agree to repairs, um, our next phase gets into where we're going to have an appraisal done. If there's lending on the property, if there's lending on the property, the house has to make appraisal. That hasn't been terribly an issue over the last year because of the uh, growth. I, I do worry a tad that as the market comes down a little bit, which it will, but again, it's not really coming down. It's actually returning to normal, which there is a difference between the two. Uh, I'm a little worried that the appraisers look at it as, well, it's not worth that much anymore. I'm like, ah, that's not true. I go, it, it might not be worth as much as it was six months ago, but it was way too ridiculous six months ago anyways. I, go, I think I
3: you're going to see a pretty big issue with that because like, the, I, past, the past six I months –
0: Get by without it, like
3: everybody. with the past six six months like your house is sitting on market here but your comps are always up higher so you, we've never had issues the past you know i would say nine months just because we always had comps for them in the past 60 you're 60, right i'm not six. worried about
0: an appraisal with the guys in a long time
3: but i will say this though with it plateauing which i do see it i think we will see that issue especially knowing that you know, we don't have a strong comps because there's some people out there that are selling their houses for a lot cheaper than what they're worth just because they have so much money in it. And they're just like,
0: you know what? I want it gone. I want it off the market. And yeah. it's hurting some areas. I, I really hope the appraisal industry and every state's different, but I really hope over the next few months, they already start for being prepared. They know they're going to be dealing with this. They cannot be devalued those properties every time they have to have some type of understanding that that was a very high spike. It's the houses, even though they're lower, they're really not lower. They're back to where they should have been. There has to be some justification in those appraisals saying we understand that and we still believe the values there. It, It won't happen but it should. And I, and I am worried about
3: that. And I will say that it's all dependent on which appraiser you get because there's no, I, crappy I, ones everywhere. <laughs> well,
0: you know, one thing, you know, what's actually,
1: weird. It, you know, what's I, weird. Is I'm, 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 I'm more worried about the, the FHA and the VA appraisals yeah. than the conventionals because everything was selling and everything, you know, homes that were, that looked like teardowns were selling conventional and cash and, yeah. you know, they didn't make those things. And now all those FHA appraisals are coming back with, subject twos and, you know. Well,
0: and you know, I, I, I gotta tell you, the hardest thing about uh, being a long-term instructor, and this happened this past week too, It it's very difficult to accept. So, you know, I've taught over 300,000 students at this point. We actually added it up recently. And it's now we're teaching them. This is actually the test question that what is market value? A, the list price, B, um, the sales price, Uh, uh, C, the appraised value, D, none of the above. They're being taught now that the answer is the appraised value is market value. And that's it's very hard to accept when you're teaching somebody that when you know there are some bad appraisers out there that do not get it right, but because they have the last say, that is market value. And that is very difficult to understand. I begged, begged for there to be, you know, most of y'all know I come from an accounting background and in accounting, especially at large public firms, there's always a plug and, and believe it or not, that's what it's called. It, even at that higher professional level, it's called a plug where a company at the end of the year, there's always a variance in the books. And that variance can be high. I mean, we're talking about a million dollars sometimes, but there's no way to reconcile it. So they plug it. Well, I've begged for years for there to be an acceptance ratio in the appraisal. Like if it comes back, as long as it's within 5%, everybody should agree that there's no fraud going on and that house should sell. Because that's the purpose Mm -hmm. of the appraisal. Right, Jim. What are you talking about? Yeah. Well, and
2: the other thing is, these appraisers. I. And this is terrible. I don't want to get anyone mad when I say this, but I just assume they're lazy. And, and some might no. be good, might be the bad. Only thing so you clarify
0: that is some of them. A lot of them do a good yeah. job. Right so, yeah. said, clarify some of them. But
2: what I what I do is, particularly, I know where they're lazy or they're super busy. I always turn around to that seller uh, agent and saying, "Hey, are you going to provide help provide comps for that?" appraiser coming in. if not i'm going to i'm going to go pull it all together Actually, so that's, leave that's a packet for them. so that's you know. a great
0: comment that i didn't have earlier and, and now that we're talking about it that's a great part of, of this conversation mm-hmm. so we're talking about the guidelines and even though we've kind of gone a little bit here and there we still are in that what the part of the show was was talking about the structure so what jim's talking about is we do teach our crews that when they're the buyer agent and they're going through a, a appraisal We do ask them to at least tell the seller, hey, look, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but make sure you've got comps that that appraiser can see that are laid out for them. Because we're not allowed to approach the appraisers, but we absolutely can put information so they can see where we're coming from. And, And as a listing agent, you should always know that when you're about to get an appraisal, you better have those out there. And as a buyer agent, Jim's right. It doesn't hurt to say, hey, look, make sure. You got the. Uh, we're also told one of the bigger things with the appraisals these days is very detailed breakouts of your upgrades. So Mike's a great example. Mike just had a complete renovation of, of of the home that he's in, and if Mike were to sell today, he would literally have a lot of leeway because Mike does a lot of the stuff himself. But market value wise, it's it's super expensive. But if he has an appraisal going, appraiser going in there right now, I can assure you he's going to have a, a five-page dossier that says we did this, and the appraiser does note that. That is very mm-hmm. on the tax um, and the, and actually, we, that we probably need to have a show. The, the next show that we do, it probably does need to be on uh, tax, tax rebuttals because last year we really couldn't do anything. This year, we are going to be able to go in there and go, "Hey, that city's charging way too much." They are trying to, they're gonna, they're gonna do the earlier part of the year, and if you look at the last part of the year, they're not the same. The point I was gonna make was the tax uh, rebuttals. They really focused on if you can prove upgrades or degrades to the house. If you can show them, like, "Hey, look, we did these things, or we didn't do these things." That house has this. Mine doesn't have that because you always go the opposite when you're trying to get your taxes lower. You actually want to show, I haven't done that. That house has all these things. The more detailed you are, uh, for instance, if your house has some maintenance issues, like the fence is bad, the fence needs to be stained. um, The the, the kitchen is the, the early 2000s. It's not right. All of those actually are very valuable when you protest your taxes because you're basically saying hey you said i'm this amount but i don't have all those things that you compared me to so that's a great conversation that a lot of people in the appraisal itself it's the opposite way we want to sell the house up so jim's right that list is going to be very crucial to making that appraisal i mean it's funny jared's right too we haven't had to have this conversation in a long time but it's coming we're gonna have to get back to where we are having appraisal issues and And unfortunately, that's not the most fun part uh, of this particular um, process. So you got that. And so we're getting close to the end here, which is good because we're kind of where I wanted to be regardless. You're past the appraisal process. The only thing really left then is the financing piece. And by that point, you should have already been good. You shouldn't. It's rare that we get to the day 20 where there's a financing issue. In fact, the, the statistics say it's less than 12%. So we should be at that point. Hey, look, this is going to go through. We're ready to go, and then our final phase in that buyer working with the buyer is going to be we're getting to close. We're going to make sure that we've done our final walkthroughs. We've uh, checked what their lender has uh, produced and saying that's pretty much what they were told. This is how much money they're going to have to bring, and we're getting ready for the final transition that they're going to close on the house. Which once again is another process. So it's a great way to end the show today if you look at what we did and we focused on some areas more than others but in the end that working with the buyer it's one big process it's showing them what's out there going show them those houses or showing what's out there preparing the contract getting them under contract going through inspection going through appraisal going through finance and getting them through clothes. If your wheels are turning fast enough as we approach the mid-afternoon hour, those are all the concepts that we do. Every one of those are extra shows in themselves. The purpose of the show today was to say, hey, look, what is the guideline? Even though it took us slower to get to that point, that is what you guys are looking at from an overall um, uh, viewpoint. So hopefully you appreciate that. You're going to see uh, for the rest of the next few months, we're actually going to be taking each of those components and having shows on those particular issues uh, to be more specific with them, because that's the whole purpose of the show anyways, is yeah. to educate. I want to thank everybody out there. I want to thank my guys here too. Uh, like I said, uh, uh, we all run this together. Hey, it's, it's not any of our firms. It's all of ours. We do this all the same. None of us are any better than the rest of them. We can't do this without them. They can't do it with me. I can't do it without them. Uh, and they're all, uh, and I take it, it is the greatest thing for me. All the guys that literally I work with, especially my top guys, they're all good friends of mine. And that's probably the most important thing to me. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Y'all pass it on, especially you new guys out there. Uh, that's a really good overview. It's not something you're necessarily taught every day, the actual flow of it. You get so caught up in what I do here, here, and here, you don't look at the overview. So hopefully that's going to be helpful for y'all. Thank y'all for watching. Y'all go to uh, joinSWR.com if you looking for uh, uh, more support or Um, looking for something different. We have a very unique firm the way we do things. We do consider that we're one of the uh, number one training support teams in the entire country. So go check that out if it's something that you're uh, interested in. Bob, a great one. Have a great day. Take care. We'll talk to you guys soon.
3: This was a Lunatic Digital production.
2: Visit lunaticdigital.com for all your digital needs.